This morning we continue our series, I Promise, and hopefully, like after every week, we keep building upon these promises of God, and your bounce is a little more as you walk out of the auditorium, and you find the hope in Jesus Christ. Today's promise is one that uh, we all need reminded of, and it's a powerful truth that nothing can separate you and me from the love of God. That's an incredible promise that God has given us, and we're loved by him, and nothing can separate us from that. It's a promise from Scripture. Have you ever been separated from someone that you dearly loved or maybe were under your care for just a few moments? Have you ever had that moment as a parent when you were watching your kid in a department store and when you turned your back, they were gone? What happened in that moment of time from when you found them and when you lost them? And as the seconds felt like hours and the hours felt like, or the minutes felt like days, something normally happens to you if your trust isn't in God, you begin to panic with the fear of them missing. Have you ever lost a child, period, and felt the separation? Jesus was separated from God. And as he was on the cross, his, his father felt the separation and so did Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, my God, my God, why have you separated yourself from me? I can remember when Josh was real small, we were living in Winona Lake and a student at Grace College and Seminary. He was about three years old and we went to the Owens grocery store, which is no longer there in Winona Lake. And we were there shopping and Ann and I were in there and and Hannah was just tiny. She was in the cart at the time. And, and so we were walking down an aisle, and it happened so quickly. I looked around, and looked around, and Josh is gone. I mean, he's a boy, so he's gone quickly. And I remember thinking, I need to find him. So immediately I said, I'll run down the aisles and begin to look. So I literally ran down the aisles, and I looked down each aisle at the grocery store, and I ran back and he was nowhere to be found, went back and Ann's looking, we're looking, we think, you know, the thoughts begin to run through your mind. Did someone grab him? Did he go outside? Where's he at? And we began to pray, God, help us to find him. And so I said, I'll run back down. And so I'm running back and forth to this, through the aisles. And finally I came across this aisle, which felt like an hour. It was probably a few moments. There was Josh walking down an aisle. He had found the toy section, and he had a toy in his hand, and he came running to me, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. That moment of separation was hard and difficult. But God tells us that we will never experience separation from him and his love. Can I get one amen for that? Never. Paul unpacks this truth in such a good way. And he just goes step by step, rhetorical question by rhetorical question, and shows us exactly what he's talking about. Turn to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 31 to 39. And turn there, and as you find that, would you stand with me as we read this? And just stand as we read God's word together, please, in auditorium, and even as you're watching online. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. Let's read this passage together. Paul is reminding us of the love of God and how good it is. Would you read it with me? Verse 31. Ready, read. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Pause for a second and think about that. Right now. Like, if you don't get anything else in this message, Jesus is praying for you. I want you to think about this. The throne room of heaven, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, it says that Jesus is interceding for me and for you. Right now, Jesus is going to God and saying, be with that parent that's releasing that child. Be with that teacher that's going to school this week. Be with that community. Be with those administrators. I pray, God, that you would cover them. Jesus himself is praying for you. When you know Jesus is praying for you, you should walk in confidence. Amen? Amen. And that's what Jesus is doing right now. Verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Go home. That's good. Have a seat first. <laughs> Let's process a second how good this is. While struggles are real, the God behind it is bigger than the adversity in front of us. Just throw your adverse situation there. The God behind you and for you is bigger than anything that you're facing right now. And so Paul says, what shall we and how shall we respond to these things? So we have to go back up above and look at the beginning of the chapter. And chapter 8 is, if God is forced, how should we respond to it? The whole chapter is about the sufferings that Christians experience and how God has saved us forever. And how he works all things out for good to those that love him. Here's what Paul's doing, by the way. This is great news for us today. Paul is assuring us that before time began, God had a purpose for your life and nothing can deter him from that. Wow, that's good. He had a purpose for your life and my life before the foundation of the world and nothing will stop. We saw last week from him finishing the work in us and it will be worked out for good. And so no matter what you're going through, God has a purpose for your life and he will work it out for good. That is really incredible news to us today. Think about this. He predestined us, Paul said. He determines how things would conclude beforehand and his conclusion is always good. And it means this, predestined means he has created us to live fully alive and he has fixed the ending of everything we face. Everything. That's the conclusion in that. During the lockdown in the early days of March when we were locked in our homes and quarantined down, I'm a sports fan. Many of you are sports fans. I like ESPN. I find therapy in sitting there and watching sports. And some don't understand it. But for me, it's a time for my mind to shut off and just to watch sports. 
But during this time, there were no live sports going on. Some of you remember that. I mean, they even had marble races with commentators. And they were in it. I remember thinking, man, this is, I can't believe they got marble. And then I was thinking, well, you're watching it. <laughs> but during this time, they would, they would show old games and they would show games of the past and championships. And during one of the nights, it was Maryland Terrapin Night. I'm sure every one of you tuned in, Maryland Terrapin Night. So the three brown boys, that was a big night for us. And the, the game that night was the 2002 National Championship basketball game when Maryland played IU. It was a good night in the Browns' home in 2002. And so as I'm watching that game and knowing going into that game, I remember thinking, this is going to be good. It wasn't as if I was wondering what was going to happen. And I remember in the first half when Dana, Dane Fife hit some shots, and I was thinking, if I was watching that live when I watched that live, when he hit a couple of threes, I might have been a little stressed. But when he made a couple of threes in that first half, because the game had already concluded, and I foreknew what was going to take place, and it was already predetermined and predestined that Maryland Terps win the national championship, I remember, that's not a big deal. Hit another three. I don't care. And I remember watching Juan Dixon, one of the guards, and Steve Blake getting blown by on defense. And, and then I remember seeing Jared Jeffries dunk over them. If I was watching that game live and wondered how it would end, I would have been all stressed out. No big deal. I, you know why? Because I knew at some point what the final score was going to be. It's a great way to watch life in a game when you know who wins. And I remember watching this game and because I foreknew what was going to happen, and I was predestined with the end of it that it would be when. Finally, when I got to the end of the game, Maryland wins by 12 points. I tell you what, it was the most stress-free watch I've ever had in a Maryland basketball game. Why? Because I foreknew, and it was already determined, that it would end up good. That's what God does with your life. It's already foreknown by him from the foundation of the world. He has already predestined the end of your life. And so as you walk through your day, you know what God looks down? He says, it's no big deal. It's first quarter. Yeah, it looks tough. They might be down now, but guess what? I know what happens in the fourth quarter. Oh, second halftime. Look, they're only up by six, but they win by 12. And so when God looks down, he is never stressed or he never frets because he has already predetermined and he foreknew before the foundation of the Lord that he will take the chapters and pages of our lives and he will finish it for good and we win in the end. That's how God sees our lives. Not only is how he sees it, he predetermines it for us. The words foreknew and glorified, by the way, that are used here in Romans 8, are both past tense verbs, which is very important. Which means it's as good as already done. It is finished. This is God's unalterable purpose. So what he is about to do for you and your kids and your coming week, think this through, hear me out, this coming week. God already foreknew from the foundation of the world. God has already predetermined. God has already concluded that it's going to end up with his good stamped on it. That's great comfort for us today. So Paul then goes through these rhetorical questions. There's five of them to try to stress this point. And the first question is this. If God is for us, then who can be against us. Our response might be this, if you're human, 
And most of you are today, by the way. Our response might be, begin with this. Well, who's against us? My spouse? (laughs) My neighbor? My family? My health problems? My school scheduling? My job uncertainty? COVID-19 issues? You will always have trouble, but that trouble will never overcome you because God has already predetermined and has already foreknown how it's going to be concluded, and he works it out for good. You already win. See, your daddy is bigger and stronger than any other daddy that you'll ever face. And what do I mean by that? We have an Abba Father that loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ and gave his best gift for us. And any dad would give his best to show how much he loves you will certainly care for you in the midst of your adverse situations too. I remember feeling that way about my stepfather as a young boy and even as a, a teenager. My stepfather was a strong man, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And honestly, he could fix anything. Andy could fix anything. In fact, if anything broke in the house, I never wondered, I wonder if they'll fix it. Somehow, some way, he would figure it out and he would fix it. And I always felt protected when I would go hunting with him in the woods and and we'd be driving to places I had never been to. I remember walking in the dark to places I had never been to in the woods. And I knew I never concerned myself at all because I know he'll find a way out because I'm with my stepfather. Andy's here. I'm going to be okay because he'll take care of me. My stepfather will protect me. And so I had this unusual sense of protection and I felt protected even if we got lost in the woods that he would take care of me. And nothing would happen to me. Let me give you an example of that. In the ninth grade, we were going to basketball practice at North Hagerstown High School. And so my stepfather was taking me to the game. And there was this bully in our town that would literally just do what bullies do, beat up kids. And so the the whole neighborhood was afraid of this kid because he was cool and he was bigger physically. And so he just bullied his way over anyone that got in his way. So we're going to the game, and, and, and we were in the Ford Country Squire station wagon. Some of you remember those, the two seats in the back that used to face each other. You remember the seatbelts in those things? Here's your seatbelt. Here, hold on. <laughs> your dad would hit the brake, and what would you do? There's the seatbelt. And somehow I survived without no bumper seats. Look, I mean, buster, bump, booster seats, too. Here I am. Like, we made it somehow. Woo, praise God, huh? <laughs> but one night we were going to basketball practice, and this bully walked out in front of my stepfather and decided that he would just be cool. He was just going across the street like this, taking his old time, and and he made my stepfather slow down so that he wouldn't hit him. He was just being cool and tough. And I remember sitting there thinking, what's what's my daddy going to (laughs) do? I remember we're driving along, and as soon as the front end of that station wagon and this kid got on the front corner of that, he took that station wagon and bumped him and knocked him right to the curb. <laughs> and I remember thinking, by the way, if you do that today, he'd be locked up. <laughs> and then I'll never forget what he said after he knocked him down. Punk. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, that's my daddy. <laughs> You pick a fight with my daddy, you're going down. And it's the same picture with our dad. Like no one can stand against him. No one's going to come against him. No one or nothing can stand because he is all powerful and he will protect whatever comes at you. 
Psalm 23, 4 is a reminder of that in the Old Testament when David says, even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. By the way, always when you read that, it says the shadow of death. It doesn't say walk through the valley of death. It says even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with me. And by the way, it doesn't say that I'm living in the valley. It doesn't say that I'm camping in the valley or I'm staying in the valley. It says that even though I'm, we walk through the valley and that is because at some point you're coming out of that valley, okay? At some point you're coming out of that valley. It's only a shadow of death. God is stronger than death valley. I saw a great illustration this week that Donald Barnhouse had in regards to this concept of the shadow of the valley. And I want to read it to you because it's so powerful. Donald Gray Barnhouse told a personal story that beautifully illustrates death's powerlessness. I'm getting some feedback here. Over Christians. More feedback. When his wife died, his children were still, still quite young. I don't know if it's my mic or what's going on, but maybe you can take care of it. <laughs> when his wife died, his children were still quite young, and Dr. Barnhouse wondered how he could explain their mother's death in a way their childish minds could understand. As they drove home from the funeral, a large truck passed them and briefly cast a dark shadow over the car. Immediately, the father had the illustration he was looking for and asked his children, would you rather be run over by a truck or by the shadow of a truck? That's easy, Daddy, they replied. We would rather get run over by the shadow because that wouldn't hurt. Their father then said, well, children, your mother just went through the valley of the shadow of death and there's no pain there for her either. Why? Because when we walk even to the doorstep of death and we die, God meets us and we are never separated from him. And so even in our last physical, we would say, breath, which we never stop because when we are Christ followers, we are more alive when we die physically than when we are here on earth. And so his love will never be separated from us. It's good news for us today. If you name a situation, there is a name that will trump that name. And his name is Jesus. So no matter what you're about to face, what you have faced and what you will face, whatever that adverse trial, whatever it is, name that situation. And if you want to overcome it, just speak the name Jesus. And his name overcomes that. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter what they said. It doesn't matter what you lost. It doesn't matter anything that comes your way or where you've been or where you're going. It's impossible for God to be separated from that thing you're about to go through. You can never walk too far away from God for God to be away from you. That is such good news. Even if you tried as a Christ follower to walk, you cannot not do it. Even if you say, I'm going to separate myself from God. You can't. 
Because once you're in his hand, you are held forever. So as far you could run to the farthest mountain, you can scale the highest height, and you can never run away from God because he is love in him. His presence will never be separated from you. Tony Evans' son spoke recently at his mom's death about six months ago. And he wrestled with this reality. They were praying, please heal mom, please heal mom, please heal mom, bring mom back, do a miracle. And so as he prayed, he became more upset that God didn't answer his prayers the way he wanted him to. And he began to wrestle with God. God, hear my prayers. And and, and he wondered if God could hear him. And he goes on to say this, that we don't understand the nature of God's victory. Just because God doesn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean he doesn't answer your prayer anyway. Victory is given even in death. So think about it this way. Either way, you will be healed or his mom would have been healed. She'll be healed or she'll be healed. She will be with family or she will be with family. She will be taken care of or she will be taken care of. Either way, victory belongs to Jesus. You see, every hardship requires us to remember this truth. Because of what Jesus has already done for you, he foreknew, he predestined, he's already saved you and chosen you, the two answers to your prayers are always yes or yes. Think about it. It's either yes or yes. God's game plan is bigger than your plan. We don't think the way he thinks. But God, this is how I thought it would play out. And God, this is what I want. And, and God, I'll tell you what I want. And we should. We should. Because if we delight in him, he gives us the desires of our hearts. Psalm 37, 4. God, this is what I desire. But he's saying, listen, your game plan isn't necessarily my game plan. And your good isn't necessarily my good. But my good is better than your good. And as God writes this, at some point in our lives, he puts a PS to it and he says this, don't tell me how to get my glory (laughs) because I'm going to get it. We often forget how much God loves his kids. We too often view love, the love of God, through the lenses of human love. Don't we do that? And human love can be fickle, can't it? Human love can be fleeting. Human love can be finicky. Human love can be based upon feelings. Yet God's love is constant, perfect, and without conditions. He doesn't wake up and say, I'm not feeling good today. Well, I don't like what you did to me. Oh, can you believe you said that? You told me that I would never. He just wakes up constant, faithful, perfect, inseparable love every day. God cannot not love you or give up, stop loving you, nor will he not not love you any longer. God is love, and his love endures forever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and another ever. We are living in a time when everything feels uncertain, but one thing remains is a certain God who will never abandon nor stop loving you. The second rhetorical question is found in verse 32. Look what he says in verse 32. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Question mark, rhetorical question. This is a perfect example of value. I enjoy watching the Motor Trend channel on, on cable TV, on New Paris Cable. And one of the reasons I love it is because they take old cars, there's five or six programs, and they restore them, and they take them from junk, and they make it into something incredibly valuable. And so they take what was worth nothing into something that's worth something. But the value of a car rests in what someone will pay for it. So you could have a car, maybe, maybe you have a car, that the first car you had, and maybe once you see, my first car, 66 Chevy Nova Deuce, 283 Power Glide transmission. For some of you don't have any idea, that means that's cool, by the way. And if I could have that car back now, like if I saw that car and I had that, it would, it would be very valuable to me because it was my first car. And so the value is in the, the, the sentimental connection to it or maybe experience that you have with it. So you find value in what someone will pay for it. So I'd probably pay more than the next guy would pay for it. Think about it this way. You and I have been purchased with the universe's greatest price, death on the cross by the Savior of the world. Now that is love. He thinks you're pretty valuable. Not only did he empty his bank account, he gave his life to purchase you and me. You and I are very valuable to God. So valuable that he gave his only begotten son. He wanted the rights to you as a son and daughter so much and you were so valuable and I was so valuable that he gave all he could give, the ultimate sacrifice, the death of his son. That's how much Jesus and God loves you. So why would God put that kind of investment in you and then leave you? Why would he leave you after giving his best? That would be crazy. If God raised Jesus from the dead, is there anything that can stop him from meeting your needs? From time to time, people will say this to me in regards to separate. Jim, like, I missed you. I haven't seen you. They'll say in regards to church. I'll say, I haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> I, I've been here. You separate it from me. <laughs> you know, as humans, we can separate. But the truth is, we could never even on our own bring separation between us and God. Even if we tried to. Sometimes we don't feel worthy of his love. And many Christians struggle with this kind of love and grace. And we have this earner's mentality. I have to battle it a lot. I'm, I'm a driven person. I'm, a, I'm an A personality person. And, and, if, and often when I see something, like if someone else can do it, I can do it too. In fact, I can do it better. In fact, I'll race you to the top of the hill. And so I battle that. I battle that. I battle that. And I have to talk to myself. But one thing I realize is I could never earn God's love. <laughs> 
but we do. We battle with this earner's mentality because it's the world we live in. The love and grace of God is free, totally free and unconditionally free. I love this illustration, this story that Charles Stanley tells about his experience with understanding grace while he was in seminary. And he tells this story. Listen, this is Charles Stanley. He said, one of my more memorable seminary professors had a practical way of illustrating to his students the concept of grace. At the end of his evangelism course, he would distribute the exam and caution the class to read it all the way through from beginning to end before they answered a question. This caution was written on the exam as well. As we read the test, it became unquestionably clear to each of us that we had not studied nearly enough. (laughs) The further we read, the worse it became. About halfway through, you could hear audible groans could be heard throughout the whole lecture hall. Stanley says, on the last page, however, there was a note that read, you have a choice. You can either complete the exam or sign your name at the bottom and in so doing receive an A on this exam. He said we sat there stunned. Was he serious? Just sign it and get an A? Slowly the point dawned on us and one by one we turned in our tests and silently fouled out of the room. When I talked with the professor about it afterwards, he shared some of the reactions he had received through the years. Some students began to take the exam without reading it all the way through. And they would sweat it out for the entire two hours of class time before reaching the last page. Others read the first two pages, became angry, turned the test in blank, and stormed out of the room without signing it. They never realized what was available. And as a result, they lost out totally. One fellow, however, read the entire test, including the note at the end, but decided to take the exam anyway. He did not want any gifts. He wanted to earn his grade. And he did. He got a C plus when he could have easily gotten an A. And Stanley wraps it up by saying this. God makes an offer that seems too good to be true. But the truth is, it's the only question that ultimately matters. Would you take the grace of God or reject it? It doesn't make sense. But that's what God's love is made of. And aren't you glad? We have nothing to fear. He gave us Jesus and withheld nothing from us. And he will not let anyone or anything keep us from finishing what he has already started in us. That thought should strip us of any kind of fear that you're facing for this coming week. In my quiet time this week, I was reading in Hebrews, and I'd ask you to turn there with me and keep your finger here in Romans. In Hebrews chapter 2, there was this truth that jumped off the pages to me in a fresh way. We're not certain who the author is, but we know it's the inspired word of God, and most think it's Paul. But anyhow, the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15. He says, since the children have flesh and blood... He too shared in their humanity so that by his what? What's the word? Death. Jesus' death. 
he might break the power of him who holds the power of what? What's your Bible say? Death. That is the what? Devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the what of their death? The fear of their death. He has broken, listen, he has broken the shackles of the fear of death for us who know Jesus. I want to ask you a question. I want you to be brutally honest with yourself. Have you put those shackles back on before going back to school? Has fear become your new friend that is your go-to for why you respond the way you do? Has fear become the go-to when you place expectations on others because they don't line up with you? Or is the reason you are so angry right now in the middle of this pandemic is because people aren't doing what you are doing and you have no control over them? Have you placed the shackles of fear when Christ went to the cross and set us free of the fear of death and he threw the shackles away forever? The third and fourth rhetorical question are found next. Look at verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who raises the life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He, who will bring any charge against us? Who will condemn us? If you are sure God has accepted you, then why are you worried or concerned with the approval of someone else? Be honest. You probably spend way too much time seeking the approval of another man or woman. When your identity and my identity is found and placed in Jesus Christ. Every day we need to remind ourselves that Jesus loves me and will never leave me. And nothing or no one can condemn me. He took every sin. He took every neglect. He took every thought he took it all to the cross and he destroyed and annihilated them and he gave you a new name called redeemed i'll say amen for that amen jesus who thought you were worth saving declares you righteous he has a plan that is greater and far better than anyone else or any what anyone says about you but you know what you have problems with that one we have more difficulty with this one on our own than we do with others. And let me explain. Here's why I believe that. Through the years. If I haven't heard this a thousand times, I've heard it 2,000 times. This statement. I can forgive others, but I struggle to forgive myself. And maybe you've been guilty of saying that. I can forgive anyone and anything. But I can't forgive myself. I can't believe I keep doing that. I can't believe I keep saying that. I just can't forgive myself. So when people come to me with that, here's my answer. My answer is this. So you think you're greater than God then? <laughs> that's, that's what you're saying. You think you're greater than God. That your opinion matters more than the God of the universe. <laughs> come on, come on. That's good preaching, by the way. 
I don't care what you think. That's good. So you think your opinion is better or greater than God's. Here's the problem. This is why you think that way. You have set a standard of good or a level of acceptance that you think you should live up to. And in order to be accepted by God or gain your salvation, you must add a few more bench presses of works when God has already saved you by grace. But I did this, God. I don't measure up. Listen, you have already measured up. Jesus measured up for you. Stop saying you can't forgive yourself. Because when you do, you're saying, God, I got a greater opinion of myself than what you do. Your identity is not in your accomplishments. They are in his accomplishments on the cross. Your destiny or your identity is given by what Jesus thinks about you and not what you think about you. When you say, but I can't forgive myself, you're saying it matters more what I think about me than what Jesus thinks about me. Listen to me, that's a very arrogant position to live in and that is called sin. Confess your sin. The final rhetorical question is found in verse 35. Look what he says in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he gives this list. Trouble, relationship struggle, hardship, financial woe, persecution, times you take a stand in school, workplace, or family and get persecuted, famine, times when you hardly have food, nakedness, when you're living in poverty, Danger, when a trial or tribulation comes your way, the sword, even death or an accident, will those things separate you from God? He lists them as answers to the who. Have you ever wondered that? Like for me, okay, I, I do. Like, like I think it would be like people when he says who, wouldn't you? Who can separate? And then he gives you a bunch of what's. Okay, maybe you don't see that, but when I say that don't make sense to me, but processing that this week, it, it made more sense for me. These things often feel like personal attacks against me. (laughs) They feel like someone is trying to take me down. What he is saying is this, no matter who you have against you, you have a who on your team that any other who on their team could never take down. Amen? In other words, I want to say, who's your daddy? (laughs) This is who my daddy is. And my daddy is bigger and stronger than your daddy. He's the CEO of creation. and He can never be separated from me. And he sets seated on the throne room of God. And no one else can sit there but him. Your daddy will never sit there. His love is more or not a memory of the past, but a moment-by-moment action of omnipotent love. So he wraps it up. He's like, okay, i got to help this church see this because, man, this sounds great. This, this sounds really good. But, man, they need to hear it. So he says this. Look what he says in verse 37. So he says, no, no, no. And I want to say, what part of no is a no? And all these things, we are what? What's it say? More than what? We are more than what? Come on, say it like you believe it. We are more than what? Through him who what? Loved us. And then he gives this incredible word, conqueror. Here's what the word more than conqueror means. This is how you should think about it. It means to overconquer. 
It means to hyper-conquer. It means to conquer as if you have success to spare. It's like, well, I didn't even give you my best. I had more left in the tank. It means to be supremely victorious. My paraphrase would be this. It means to run up the score even when the clock's still running. It means, listen, look at the other team and say, look at the scoreboard, I'm scoring again. Over, conquer. As a kid, I would watch a cartoon that had Muttley in it. You guys remember Muttley? It was a dog that would snicker. <laughs> you remember that? You guys remember that? I'm going way back for some of you. You're like, what are you talking about, Pastor Jim? When I was eight years old, and it was just this. <laughs> and every time I read this, I think of this. Like, you're going to stand against me? <laughs> I had to pull him up. Here, here's Muttley. Here, in case, if you don't forget anything, don't, don't forget to hear this. Go home with this, this Emmy. <laughs> There you go. So the next time you read this and something stands against you and it's coming up against you, just go. (laughs) 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 Nothing can stand against us and nothing can separate us from the love of God. How's he wrap this up? Look what he says in verse 38. He says, for I am convinced... That neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither this present life, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's the word convince mean? We need some convincing right now. Some of you need to convince yourself again. You need to speak the gospel back to yourself and re-believe what the gospel says is true about us. Convinced means I am absolutely persuaded on the basis of evidence. And what's the evidence? Go to the cross, remind yourself, he took all your sin there, he died for it all, and you've been saved by grace, and nothing can separate you from the love of God. And it's perfect tense, too, in the grammar. I was persuaded in the past, and I'm fully persuaded in the present, too. I believed it then and nothing has changed my mind. I will die on the hill of this promise that nothing can separate me from the love of God. So he gives this list. He gives them in twos. It's just quickly. Here, here he says, this word separate. Neither death nor life. Death is the, the great separator. It seems so final. Men fear death as children fear darkness. That can't separate you. Angels or demons, even if angels were trying to overpower you, they couldn't. And demons try to twist your mind and tell you lies. They can't. They can harass. They can oppress. But listen, they can't separate you from the love of God. Neither present nor future, nothing in time, no recorded situation, not bankruptcy, not a screw up, not a drug addiction, not a sinful choice nor any powers. Whatever Satan throws at us, we can just go. (laughs) Neither height nor death, no place that you can travel will separate you. And then he says, okay, is this list exhaustive enough? And and then he gives this all-encompassing, like, okay, in case you think there's a place, 
nor anything else in all creation. Just in case there is something I have not mentioned, (laughs) you can never be separated. I hope the bounce in your step is different than what it was when you walked in. Because the love of God is inseparable to us who know him personally. Amen? Lord, remind us this week daily of your love. I pray, God, that we would talk to ourselves this week instead of listen to ourselves. I pray, God, that we would remind ourselves daily that nothing can separate us from your love. And that our daddy is the king of the universe, undefeated, reigning champion, will reign and has always reigned forever. And he's in our corner, fighting and battling and turning all things into good. And he foreknew and he predestined that he would take even the walks through the valley of the shadow of death and turn it into good. Oh, the love of God. Let us remember that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.